Good morning and greetings in Jesus' name again this morning. I too was certainly challenged by the Sunday School lesson. Very interesting way of looking at uh, Solomon's words of wisdom and the things he had to say. I especially appreciated Mark's uh, uh, comments here at the, in the closing of the Sunday School time about the things that still bring us joy. One of the things he mentioned was, uh, you know, when you when you have when you have you know an audience's attention, that brings you joy. Well, I certainly can concur with that. Um, I remember, I'll just never forget this. Sidney Gingrich was bishop at um, Elm Street Congregation, where my wife attended when we were dating. And on more than one occasion, he would get up to preach, and he was a little short guy like me, so I could I could under, understand his you know his inferiority complex that goes with that. You know, I hardly could see out over the pulpit sort of thing. And uh, I'm sure I'll understand that more as I shrink as I get older and stuff. But anyway, he would he would say, folks, he'd say, just do me a favor. He said, I know I'm old, I know I'm ugly, I know it's hard for you, but would you just look this direction? Would you just look at me? Even if you're not following me, I know, I know it's tough, but just do me the favor of looking at me. And I often thought, well, that, you know, that's, that's kind of interesting that he would say that. You know, I always thought, well, if I was up front, I'd be glad if everybody was looking out the windows and stuff, you know. But I certainly have come to understand why he said that. So uh, I guess ditto what he said. <laughs> okay, turn with me to John 8 this morning. I've been somewhat working through the book of John. I'm not sure if I'll continue doing this, but um, I do want to do it here again this morning. I have entitled my thoughts, Who is Your Father? Most of us are not too confused about that physically. If I ask you who your father is, you would come up with a name, and some of you would be able to say right over there. Some of you, you would be able to make a connection somewhere or the other about who your father actually is. Um, in today's world, unfortunately, with the, um, with the culture we live in and the wickedness that surrounds us, there is, uh, there is actually a, a chance that you wouldn't know who your father is. And for a mere 75 or $100, you can go on the Internet and you can buy a DNA kit you can swab your cheek and you can send it in and figure out who your dad is. That's the, that's the point we're at in life, and, and so that's unfortunate. But, but you know, be, beyond that, um, there have been times that I have run into a person, and I'll say, well, the way that person looks, or the way he acts, or the way he talks, or his mannerism or something, that sure reminds me of so-and-so. And come to find out that I had good reason to think that that person reminded me of so-and-so because that was his dad. He was a chip off the old block, as they say. Or he was, uh, you know, the old apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, however you want to put it. So physically, we really don't have any choice about who our, who our dad is. Spiritually, we do have a choice. That's, that's where the parallel does break down. I have a choice this morning who my father is. And in John 8 here, we have a very ironic situation where 
there was real confusion about who, who these folks' fathers were. And we, and we end up with this, I'm going to call it a debate, because that's kind of what it ended up being, a debate between Jesus and the Jews. They were saying, your father's the devil. Jesus said, no, your father's the devil. Here's why. And they had this bantering back and forth. And at the end of the day, the last verse, they were ready. Well, they did. They picked up stones and they were going to kill Jesus, as they did on a few other times, tried. And um, Jesus, of course, um, escaped that. I would like to read this morning uh, quite a lengthy portion of this chapter. Um, we're going we're gonna to start here. I think I'm, I think I'm going to give you um, the, the first part of the chapter here is, of course, the, um, the account of the woman that was brought in that was caught in adultery. Jesus has some words for her and for the folks that brought her in. We're not going to comment too much on that. But then in verse 12, Jesus turns away from that incident and he says to the folks um, that he's talking to, he says, I am the light of the world. And um, this goes into a conversation about, how do you, why do you say that? The Pharisee says, you can't say that. In verse 13, you don't have any, you don't have any proof. Prove it to me. What's your record? And Jesus goes on in verse 14 through about 18, and he talks about his record. He talks about why he has the right to say that. He said, I do have a record of these things. And if we go back to chapter 5, you would see that he gave the Pharisees and the Jews there in that chapter three witnesses. And he said, in your law, you require two. I'll give you three. And so he, he had already given them this, uh, these witnesses they were looking for. And they're coming back again and saying, you don't have a witness. You can't say these things. And then uh, in verse 19, here we go. Where is thy father? Who's your father? Show us your father. And so here we get into this thing of who is my father? Who is your father? Sort of thing. So I'm going to just break in at verse 25. We're going to start reading. And they said unto him, who art thou? Again, another way of saying, who's your father? Jesus said unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning, I have many things to say to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen of your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. 
Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. They said unto him, We be not born of fornication, we have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself. But he sent me. Why do, you, why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews, and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan, and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Very, verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know thou hast the devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead? Who makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. If my father... It is my Father that honoreth me, and of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I have known him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So the um, setting we have here is um, we're still at the Feast of Tabernacles. If you remember the last time I talked out of the book of John, um, we, we talked about how Jesus went to the Feast of the Tabernacles and some of the things that took place on the way there, some of that unrighteous judgment he, he faced. So we're still here at the Feast. And if you know anything about the temple, there was a courtyard outside the temple. There was actually two courtyards. There was the courtyard of the Gentiles, which if you were not a Jew, that's as far as you got. Then there was the courtyard of the women, the women's court it was called, and it says here in one of the verses I did not read, okay, in verse 20, these words spoke Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. The treasury was inside what was known as the women's court. And in a little corner was the treasury, and Jesus taught in this place many times. Uh, this was a place that was as far as the women could go in that day. They, they didn't go any further than the women's court. And can someone tell me, I cannot get any conclusion on this matter, was that a man-made rule or was that God's law? 
Does anybody know that? I dug and dug, and I can't come up with it. I, I take it it was a man-made thing. I could be wrong on that. I don't know that there was a Levitical law, per se, that a, per, that a woman could not go beyond this particular point. But I stand corrected. I don't know that for sure. But I would take it perhaps this was a man-made thing. But anyway, whatever it was, here's where a lot of activity took place. Here's where they bought and sold cattle, and it was kind of a hullabaloo in there a lot of times, and that's where Jesus was teaching. It's interesting that in this courtyard was two or four. I can't get agreement there either, but there was a few big lamps in this particular courtyard that every evening were lit. And I think that's interesting because in this well-lit courtyard is where Jesus says, hey, I am the light of the world. He kind of used that, um, that uh, particular, those, those pillars of, um, of those lamps, those big lamps that threw light out all over the city of Jerusalem to introduce himself as the light of the world. So what I'm going to do here this morning, and um, I, I can't nearly uh, take this chapter in depth, but we know from Hebrews um, 2.11 that it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brother. That's what it says. So if Jesus is not ashamed to call us our brother, he is our spiritual brother, then that means we share a common father. So the things that made God Jesus' father should make God our father. Okay? So that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to go through here, look at a few things that Jesus says, talks about, that made God his Father, and apply that to us, and see if we can't learn something about um, God, what God expects of us, or what we should be exuding to be um, a person that Jesus says, I'm not ashamed to call that guy my brother. That guy's my brother over there. So the first thing I'm going to suggest, a question we can ask ourselves is, how much do you enjoy light? Is light something that you like? I do not find it an accident that the first thing God created was light. Why didn't he create the sun first? Why did he not create uh, the alligators first? I mean, why did he choose light? Well, I, think there's, I don't think that's an accident. God is light, okay? And Jesus here says, I am light. So I think that was very, very much planned, that, um, that light was the first thing that was created. I think it also is no accident that in the very last chap chapter of the Bible, in Revelation 22, it is emphasized that because God is light, and because he's this awesome, um, brilliant thing, there's absolutely no need of the sun in heaven. No need of that. We have all the light we need there. Physically speaking, light is a very important thing. If we did not have, if we did not have light, we'd be in a world of hurt. Uh, think about plants and their photosynthesis. Uh, think about the energy we can get from the sun, the light. Uh, solar panels is, uh, is the green way to go these days. Um, if you would live in a place that and there are some people that do, that the sun doesn't shine for part of the year, your vitamin D intake would decrease. You need some sun to get some light, some, some vitamin D from. Uh, you may even struggle with a bit of depression. 
Light can, the lack of light physically can cause us to make some pretty grave mistakes. Whenever I was a small boy, um, I remember um, at home there, we, at the place where we, my father first started milking cows, was the old regular big Pennsylvania bank barn and with all its nooks and crevices and beautiful place for, you know, creatures to hang out if they chose to do that. And uh, my mother, um, there was a wild cat on this farm that I guess was kind of a beautiful thing. And for whatever odd reason, my mother decided she wanted to catch this cat. And I, it seems a little bit uncharacteristic for the mother I know now, but at that point, that's what she wanted to do. So she kind of kept a pair of gloves there in the, um, in like a corner, and, and she would attempt at times to catch this thing. She knew if she caught it, she was going to get clawed pretty good, so that's why the gloves. So one morning, she's come to the barn, and it's dark, or at least pretty shadowy anyway. Those barns weren't very well lit. And she thought she saw the cat. On goes the gloves. We lunge for what we think is the cat. The cat got away. We flip on the light, and there runs an opossum. <laughs> a very grave mistake. I can only imagine if the light would have went on and the opossum would have been in my mother's hands. That would have been interesting. But anyway, uh, it's somewhat humorous, but it shows how gravely messed up we can become if uh, we do not have light. If we don't have light, we make light. Dark is only our friend if we have something to hide. Now, sometimes there are legitimate things to hide, physically speaking, but I'm going to dare say that spiritually speaking, we never have anything to hide. We must always be in the light. Consider this. John 1, excuse me, James 1.17, God is called the Father of lights. And in that, it says, there is not a shadow of turning. What that means is he does not cause a shadow by his turning the wrong direction. 1 Thessalonians 5.5, 5, it says, Ye are all the children of light. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Ye are the light of the world. In John 1, it says that when this light, Jesus, came in to the world, it said the darkness didn't comprehend it. The darkness did not understand it. Folks, don't think it strange if the world does not understand your ways because dark does not understand light. And remember this, light dispels darkness, not the other way around. Light always overpowers darkness. Darkness does not overpower light. It is the absence of light that makes darkness. Remember these things. You have the light. The world does not. So this causes us to ask a few questions. Am I willing to accept Jesus and his words as the true light? Am I just satisfied with that? I thought Brother Dean last, last Sunday evening did an excellent job at bringing that point out. Am I willing to just read the Bible, read what Jesus said and say, that's where it's at. That's the light. I need, I need no more. Or must I involve myself in some exegetical gymnastics to satisfy what I think is light and come up with my own light? The psalmist says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. End of story. And then once I have that light, am I willing to change 
what needs to be changed when I'm confronted or am I, or am I running for dark? When the, when the light's showing me what I don't like, am I headed for the dark because I don't like that? Do you appreciate it when the light exposes your faults, my faults? Here's another question that I have spent much time considering over the years, and I don't even know if it's one that we should um, ask, but I, I, I think maybe we should ask it. And, and it's this. How much gray are you willing to put up with in your life? In Zechariah 14.6, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which is known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass at evening time it shall be light. Now what that verse is talking about is gray. It's not light, it's not dark. It's, it's confusion. I think it's interesting it says that evening time it shall be light. If, if what commentators think, Jesus was speaking to these people in the evening under those lights. Is that prophetic in nature? Maybe it is, maybe it is not. But back to our gray thing. Um, turn to uh, Proverbs 4, 18 and 19. I think that's an interesting couple of verses. This was written, I guess, when um, Solomon was a young man, I guess. It says, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. But the path of the wicked is, is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. Now that verse 18 isn't maybe as clear as, as it could be, but what that's saying is that the path of the just is like a dawn of a new day. And it just gets brighter and brighter and brighter and it, and until you finally have day, all right? So the question is, um, is your path bright and is it getting brighter? Or is it getting darker? Our path should be coming brighter and brighter. Um, it seems like gray is a color. My take on it is gray is the color that the devil loves. Because when you think about it, so you have uh, you have the people of God over here, and they should be in the light, all right. And then you have you know the the people of the world over here, and this is dark. Well, the only place there's gray is in here. And if we're wandering around in the gray, that means we're getting awful close to where it's dark. And and, and the thing that is is concerning about that is as you wander around in the gray too long, you get used to it. And, and then to get a little bit darker, it doesn't seem quite so bad anymore. You kind of adjust to it. You, you slowly get into it. And, you, and suddenly, what's light, what isn't? The further you get away from the light, the closer you get to the dark, the more gray things look. I, I'm going to say this. You know, sometimes you say that there's gray areas. Well, maybe there are gray areas. I wonder if there isn't a better way to put it. I, I would say that there's probably areas that... Um, aren't as clearly spelled out. Maybe that's gray. I'm not sure. But it seems to me that the people of God should not have too much gray in their lives. It seems to me that sooner or later you should arrive at something that you're at peace with and makes sense and that is in line with God's Word. I think every issue in life 
We may be in the gray for a while, but I think we have to find the light on it. If you have anything to add on that, I'd be glad to hear it. I just don't think gray is a color that God is real satisfied with. The other question I'm going to ask you is, do people readily recognize you as children of light? That's what we're called. Do people recognize you as that? We're going to pull from the example of John the Baptist here. Go with me to John 1, 7 and 8. This is very interesting. So John 1, 7 and 8 says this, and it's talking about John. Verse 6, it identifies John. It says, The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might be saved. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So here we have it. John was not the light. Okay, He came to bear witness of the light, but he was not the light. Now let's go to John 5, and let's see what Jesus says about John. John 5.35. This is Jesus talking about some of his witness here to these, these folks. And what does he say? He said, he was a burning and a shining light. And you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. So Jesus says, yes, John was a light. A burning and a shining light. I think that's significant that Jesus calls this person, John, a burning and a shining light. Why not just a burning light? Why not just a shining light? When you think about it... uh, I think the burning part talks about John's zeal. He was a zealous person. Uh, He was a passionate person. When you got around John and you said, Hey, John, what should I do? He said, You bunch of vipers. He just came out and said it. I mean, the fire was in the belly. He just told them. But he didn't stop there. There's something about passion that if it's not coupled with direction can be very, very destroying. He was a shining light. He gave clarity. He was a person that he'd give you the fire in the belly, but he'd also give you the, the direction you should go as well. He showed them. To try to have one without the other will not work. The other thing that's extremely important here is that word light is not the same word as Jesus used whenever he introduced himself as the light of the world. It's two different lights. The light that he calls John was a portable lamp. It was a lamp that it could be over here it was going to give light, it could be over there it was going to give light. Jesus was the one that was firing that lamp, and the light was mobile. John's light was something that these folks chose for a time to rejoice in. Why did they quit rejoicing in John's light? Because John had something for them they did not like. For a while they were like, You know what? I'm good with this. I like John's message. I like this idea of a Messiah. But when they figured out who the Messiah was, no, no. We were done with the light. We were done. So I ask you again, do you love light? Second thing I'm going to point out, do you have the witness of God? A way to know that God is your father is if we have the witness of God. Verse 18 talks about that. says, I am, I am the one that bear witness. I am one that bear witness of myself, and my Father that sent me beareth witness of me. It's no different with us. 
Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Galatians 4, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. John says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. You know, we as earthly fathers don't let our children hanging, um, wondering who their fathers are or if they're really ours. We're, we're happy to inform them of that. And they know that. There's no question. I don't sit here today questioning who my father is. Nobody in this room does. No different with our Heavenly Father. God is not going to throw us out there and not give us the witness, the seal. Um, Hebrews 11 says, These folks desired a better country, and God was not ashamed to be called their God. God wasn't ashamed to call them his children. But there is some, there is some qualifications that go with that, and we're not going to belabor that. You understand that. But it, to go back and recap 2 Timothy 2, it says, Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Get back in the light. Stay in the light. That's how you know whether you're actually a child of the Father of light. Do you enjoy the same things he enjoy? He enjoys. Sometimes our facts and our feelings can get messed up a little bit on this. And sometimes we maybe question, is God our Father or is he not? And I'm not going to go into that this morning because I don't have a lot of time here. But remember this, God does not want us to wonder that. That is not a question we're supposed to go foggily through life wondering, is God my Father or is he not? That's not characteristic of God. You can know that this morning. And if you don't know that, find out. You can find out. That's not difficult. God has given us uh, ample promises, ample instruction in his word, whether he is your father and whether he is not. Third thing I see out of this chapter to ascertain who my father is, are you ashamed of God's word or do you speak it? And I get that from verse 26. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but you have sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. We, of course, know the very familiar scripture that in Mark that says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. First Thessalonians 2.4 has an interesting verse. Paul says this, he says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Now, there is an interesting word in this verse that we should note. When he says, but as we were allowed, okay, that word allowed and that word trieth in the latter part of the word is, verse is the same word. So we could read the verse like this. But as we were tested of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we should speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which tests our hearts. So the very fact that you were given the gospel is a test for you. What will you do with that gospel? Will you just hide it? Will you put the bushel over it? Or will you share it? I think we, have a, we are indebted to share with the world the way of truth. And I think you, you, you agree with that. 
The other thing I want to emphasize here is Jesus did not go about trying to smooth it over. He didn't do that. He, he put the truth out there the way it was. Now, it's not to say he didn't use tact, but he, he did not fuzz on the message. That part he did not. There's nothing uh, more frustrating than trying to make the truth fit a falsehood. That's very frustrating. Um, you, uh, you will probably understand this, but in, in, um, in, in the sales world, it can get real difficult if your main goal is to sell, to always tell the truth. That can be difficult, especially whenever you're taught that the guy that wins sells the most. And so you, you can kind of, um, well, let's, let's just fudge it a little bit here. Let's not quite tell it the way it is because that might hurt my sell, you know. Uh, I had that experience here a few, few years ago. I um, had a question about a product I had, and I called the guy that sold it to me. And I said, what about this? It, it had to do with a product that I had sitting out in the sun, all right? And I said, the fact that it was sitting in the sun all summer, will that affect its potency? I, no, I, I know what I asked him. I said, it was sitting outside. Does that affect its potency? Oh, no, no, no. He said, nah, you, you know, he, he said, I'm sure it was shaded. He said, if you had it shaded a little bit, nah, it, it, it won't. Now, he said, if it was sitting in full-blown sun, yeah, yeah, it would then. I said, you misunderstood me. It was in full-blown sun. Well, he still wanted to tell me it was good, so he just went ahead and did that. He just went ahead and, and just, just said, oh, sure, it's still good. And he just got done telling me that, you know, if it would be sitting in sun, it wouldn't quite be so good. I just did not care for that at all. I didn't know what to believe. And, and, I, and I know this man good enough to just know he's a bloviator. I know that's what he is. And I, I just was like, I don't know what to believe. I, I, I mean, I have to get a different opinion because I, can't, I can't trust this man. I also never forget a, uh, this is more on a spiritual tone, but years and years ago, I was into a, a Christian bookstore and I was browsing in there and... and um, the proprietor of the store, which happened to be a woman, was on the phone, and she wasn't trying to hide her conversation, and I couldn't help overhearing it. But the phone conversation was going like this. I figured out that the person she was talking to had a cat that died. It was quite grieved about this particular cat that died. And she was assuring this person that the cat was in heaven. Come on. I mean, you know, yeah, let's help the lady out or whatever that had the cat that died, but don't give them words that are not true. This is, this is ridiculous. And I mean, you, that's a little bit silly. I don't think anybody would do that. But you get the point. Uh, give the people the truth. That's what they need to know. Are you ashamed of what God says? Or do you, do you speak it the way it is? Another thing I see here, do you do the things that please the Father? Verse 29. He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. But I do always those things that please him. Can anybody tell me out of Hebrews 11, who was the person that it was said of him that he pleased God? you know who that was? Okay, I'll tell you. Enoch said that he pleased God. Now, that's the only place it says that. In Hebrews, the writer says he pleased God. Do you know how much we know about Enoch? Not much. Not very much at all. I came up with three things we know about. In Genesis 5, it says two things. It repeats it two times. It says he walked with God. It says it twice in about four verses. The other thing it says about him, do you know what it is? He begat sons and daughters. 
Two things. And it says that twice too. He begat sons and daughters and he walked with God. The other thing we know about him from Jude, eons later, a few, uh, few hundreds or thousands of years later, Jude tells us that he prophesied of the coming judgment of God. In no uncertain terms, Jude 14, it says that he prophesied against these ungodly, wicked sinners. So three things. He walked with God, he begat son and daughters, and he prophesied against the ungodliness around him. And it pleased God so much that God said, I'm just going to take you home. I'm just, I'm going to, you're not going to have to go through the whole death thing. I'm taking you home. You know, really, Enoch's, um, what we know about Enoch should not be, his testimony should not be a whole lot different than ours. Now, I believe we can please God without begetting sons and daughters, but evidently that pleased God, all right? Um, but otherwise, the walking with God and the prophesying against ungodly sinners should be ours. So, do you do the things that fit, that please the Father? First Peter 1 says, But he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, holy and unholy have about as much in common as light and dark. They just don't have anything in common. So we must deduce that if we enjoy unholy thoughts, unholy music, unholy talk, unholy, unholy recreation, whatever you want to fill in the blank, if that is where you get your jollies, you have to question who your father is. There's no gray here. Those things should be gone from a holy person. Sometimes... Um, you hear this phrase, just, just last week, happened again. guy called me, and uh, we were talking. I had a question for him about something, and, and he said, oh, I forgot to do that. He said, i tell you why I forgot. He said, I, I had this incident, and he said, my skid loader broke down, and he said, he said, Dwight, I don't have much religion to start with, but he said, i tell you what, any, any little bit of religion I had was gone by the time I was done working on that skid loader. And we chuckle at that, I guess. You know, we know what he means, but... Are we good with losing our religion? Is that okay to lose our religion? Think about that. Another thing I see here, do you continue in God's word? Do you abide? Do you remain in his word? Verse 31, then said the Jews to those, Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. The thing that, that these Jews here Suddenly that says that there was some, um, verse 30 it says, And as he spake these words, many believed on him. And the words he had just got done speaking was in verse 29, which says, uh, or no, verse 28, talks about the Son of Man being lifted up. I truly believe that what they thought was that Jesus was going to be exalted as king at some point. I think that's how they interpreted the lifting up. And um, when they heard that, they were like, they were excited. They were, they were like, this is great. And many believed on him. Jesus turns right around and says, you know what? If you're my disciples, uh, you're going to continue in my word. You're going to abide in my word. What I tell you from this point out is not going to offend you. You're going to do that. You're going to be glad for that. You're going to hear it and you're going to stay there. You're not just going to start and then leave off, go another direction. But you're going to stay there. 
Jesus said at another point, um, a person that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Um, a person, in other words, a person that does not abide, a person that is not set, in my words, uh, is not fit for the kingdom of God. You know, it's a very real threat that we could start out well and end up wrong. And I'm sorry to say it, and I'm, I know you are too, but every one of us can give knows a person that did that. I am pretty sure. Started out right, ended up wrong. And that's sad. Um, you know, the armed forces doesn't look very favorably at deserters. We're in an army. We're in the Lord's army. I don't think deserters should be allowed in, in the Lord's army either. Let's, let's continue. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. But let's continue. The next question to ask is, are we living in freedom? Jesus talks quite a bit about this. Verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make ye free. This really brought the Jews to a boiling point here. They were convinced they weren't in bondage. Um, at that very moment, interestingly enough, they were under Roman rule. They had been under Egypt, Persia, Syria, Babylon, and Syria all at some point in time. And yet they said, we are not in bondage. What are you talking about? That's not our, that's not our situation. It's the same today. Everybody touts the word freedom, and yet everyone lives in bondage. And we understand that. They had the, the literal bondage in mind. Jesus had the spiritual. And, of course, Jesus goes on to explain this, that... Um, his real concern was their bondage to sin, their committing of sin. So Peter has something to say to this in Second Peter. It says, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. Romans says, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom ye obey, whether of sin into life or obedience unto righteousness. Our freedom depends on our willingness to let Jesus' truth free us. These folks hung their hats on who their blood father was. They said, Abraham is our father. We are servants to no one. And Jesus concurs with that. He said, yes, you are Abraham's children. But he said, yet you are not Abraham's children. And again, if you would do a word study there, what he's saying is, you are the biological children of Abraham. I will concur with that. But you are not the spiritual children of Abraham because you do not do the works of Abraham. Second Corinthians says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself above against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We have a choice to make. We can live in freedom today if we choose to do that. Another thing, do you hear God's word? Jesus tells them that, they, that because he speaks the truth, and they are the children of the devil who is a liar, they can't perceive truth. Verses 47 and 44 talk to that. 43, he says, why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. It's interesting that, again, these, these concepts, these ideas, these, um, these uh, things that identify who our Father is, is spoken to so many times throughout the Bible. Zechariah uh, has a very interesting thing to say to his, um, his folks there that he was prophesying to. He says, but they refused to hearken and pulled away their shoulder and stopped their ear that they should not hear. Literally did not want to hear the truth. 
And Second Timothy, Paul says, the time will come when people will not be able to stand sound doctrine. And this time their ears are going to be itchy, so the way they're going to stop the sound doctrine is they're going to bring in people that say what we want to hear. That's, that's the way to do it. Well, we live in an age that truth is scarce and very easily discarded. And there's many reasons that that's the case. We won't enlarge on that. But do you hear the truth? Lastly, do you seek to honor God? You know, as, as human fathers, um, I don't know how it was for you or how it is for your children, but I'm guessing we're all somewhat calm in this way. Um, whatever dad does, at least to a certain point, a certain age anyway, is like that's the way you do it. And uh, I instantly thought of um, my childhood in the first few years of my, uh, my school-going days. There was five of us boys in, our, in my grade. And interestingly enough, every one of our fathers uh, had a dairy farm. And to make it even more interesting, each one of our fathers drove a different brand of tractor. Now that shows how many different brands was back in those days. And quite loyal they were. Um, you know, I, to this day, you know, Argel's dad drove Oliver's and Nolan's drove John Deere and James's drove Minneapolis Moline. I, my father was a Massey guy. And the only one I could not remember was Delmar, and I can't remember what his father drove, but evidently he wasn't as hip hip hooray about that as the rest of us were. But anyway, we were quite loyal to that, especially um, especially Nolan. I mean, if you didn't drive John Deere, you didn't quite make the grade. That's just the way it was, and so none of us quite did. But anyway, we, we defended that. Well, do we seek to honor our God? Do we defend what our Father does? as much as we do when we're children of our earthly fathers. The Jews loved honor. Um, Luke 20, Jesus says of these, of these Pharisees, Beware of the scribes, which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in markets, in the highest seats in the synagogues, in the chief rooms at the feasts. But they devour widows' houses and for show make long prayers. The same shall receive the greater damnation. We know what Lucifer's sin was. He didn't honor God. He brought that honor to himself, or he tried to. John 5 says, How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seeketh not the honor that cometh only from God? We steal honor, in other words, from God. Old Herod found this out in Acts 12 whenever people said, There's a God. And he said, I kind of like this. And God struck him dead. He did not divert that honor that he should have. So, are you willing to honor what God has invested in you and I. Are we excited about his calls and willing to, be, to spend and be spent? Do we defend him when someone questions his choice of tractor, whatever that may be? So, this morning, the question is, who is your father? Or maybe better, who do you want your father to be? These Jews could have switched camps today. They could have. They could have. They could have gotten out of the camp of the devil and went to the camp of Jesus if they would have chose to. Turn to Second Corinthians six in closing. Second Corinthians six, last two verses. Wherefore, come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, 
and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. It's that simple. There's a separation. We're in the right camp. We're separate. And we don't touch the stuff that's in the other camp. When we got that straight, God says, I'll call you my father. And you will be my sons and daughters. Is God your father this morning?